Our scripture will be coming from the book of Acts, uh, the fourth chapter, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 14. Acts, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 14. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it reads as follows. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they acquired, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. That concludes the reading of God's word. And if I may take for uh, a subject on this afternoon, the incredible Christian, the incredible Christian. Let us pray. Precious and all wise God, we just giving him all the praise, all the glory and all the honor. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made and we rejoice and we are glad in it. We thank you Lord for all that you have done in this place for your glory. And now we pray precious Lord, once again, that you will be glorified through the preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, I pray that I not declare my thoughts, my opinions, or my desires, but Lord, nothing, let nothing but the truth and power and clarity in your word be proclaimed. Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that you might increase, that you will be glorified in all that is declared on this afternoon. And Lord, we continue to pray that Everything that is done here, let it be done 
in decency and in order, that you will be glorified in all things. In Christ our Savior's name we do pray. Amen. When we come here and we look at the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, uh, it was written by the Apostle Luke, and it's a follow-up to his gospel, the gospel that he penned in, follows up the other gospels as a history of the early church. Uh, we see here in the book of Acts that after the resurrection, Jesus continued to be with his apostles for 40 days, and he was teaching them and instructing them in the kingdom of God. And before his ascension, he promised them in Acts 1 and 8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We find that fulfilled in Acts 2, uh, starting at the first, first verse, rather, that they came together on the day of Pentecost and they were all together in one place. And we see that in Acts 2 and 4 that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When we scan down a little further, we see in Acts 2 and 6 that these tongues, they were different languages, that the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So as the onlookers were amazed and bewildered as how this could be, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave his sermon at Pentecost, starting at 2 and verse 14. We see Peter preached a powerful and bold gospel message. He showed what they were witnessing was prophesied in the book of Joel, showing how the same Jesus who walked in their midst, ministering to the needs of the people and performed miracles, this same Jesus was the one that they gave over to be crucified and killed. This same Jesus was the promised Messiah and his empty grave was proof that God raised him from the dead and that he had, he had ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father. And through that sermon, scripture tells us that about 3,000 souls were saved. But God didn't stop moving there. When we go down to the third chapter of Acts, we find Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer. They found a man lame since birth begging at the gate beautiful. And we find that a miraculous account of God's power. The man was begging, looking to receive alms. And Peter and John said, look at us. And when he fixed his attention on them, he was expecting to receive something, maybe a little bit of change, maybe some, some money so that uh, he could do whatever he needed with. But Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And scripture says he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and he immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So you can imagine that the people that they knew this man because they said he was at the gate daily begging for alms. So they recognized that this was the same one who was lame and now he's coming walking and leaping and praising God. How could this be? 
And then we see that Peter took the opportunity to preach another powerful gospel message at Solomon's porch beginning at Acts 3, verse 11. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? You see, Peter declared that it was not through his power or John's power, but God's power through Jesus Christ that this man was healed. Once again, he said it was that same Jesus that you gave to be condemned instead of a murderer. He is the Holy One of God who was raised up from the dead and whose sacrifice can blot out your sins if you repent and believe. So all of that brings us to the account we find here in the fourth chapter. We find Peter and John were arrested, but yet another multitude would believe that would bring the number of men alone to about 5,000. And we see once again Peter and John in the presence of the Sanhedrin court. And Peter preaches once again another powerful gospel message. So while we are looking and studying and seeing how God is moving through Peter, moving through John, it's easy for us to be in awe of how God is using the apostles here in the book of Acts. You see, it's really easy for us, the modern church, to look at these words of these forerunners and then compare these words and these works with ourselves. We look at these beautiful gospel sermons that Peter preached, and then we look at ourselves. We say, look, I can barely conjugate a verb, let alone speak proper English. How can we do anything like Peter proclaimed or proclaim anything like Peter proclaimed? We look at them and we see that they had such boldness to preach the gospel in the face of such adversity. But here we are. We have our own faults and fears. We may be shy or introverted. We may be anxious and timid. How can we even compare ourselves to do any work such as Peter and John? So rather than find ourselves inspired, we condemn ourselves. We see ourselves in all of our insufficiency and deem ourselves to be unfit to be messengers of the gospel. We say we'll just set ourselves aside and we'll do good church work, if you know what I mean. But sometimes we don't even go that far. We just say, you know what, I'll just live a good life and we'll leave the work to someone more capable, leave the work to someone more equipped. And while this is easy for us to do as individuals, sometimes it's easy for us, even as smaller church bodies like ourselves, to do in relation to larger, more established congregations. We say, are we good enough for God to use us? We ask, maybe we're just not big enough for God to use us. Maybe we should just stay in our lane and let the mega churches do the great big things. We don't have the numbers. We don't have the people. Our pastors aren't famous or world renowned. They haven't written books or they're not speaking on conference or doing tours across the nation or across the world. We don't have a hundred voice choir and we don't have a full orchestra to minister in song. No, we're just this itty bitty little church with a regular folk. Let's just focus on being regular. And our hope is that along the way, we don't mess anything up too badly. But truth be told, that is not who we are. Not individually, not collectively. 
Because if you are a born-again believer in Christ Jesus and a church body of born-again believers in Christ, you individually and you collectively, you're special. There's something incredible about you. And it's not because of you, it's not because of yourself, it's not because of your works, it's not because of anything that is in this world that makes you incredible. But it's things that come from God. So I want to share with you four things in this passage that make the Christian incredible. The first thing is the gospel message makes the Christian incredible. We see that in these first chapters of Acts and continuing on in verse 4, Peter was preaching the gospel and we see that because of that preaching of the gospel, he and, he and John were arrested. They were arrested because the religious leaders saw the gospel as opposition rather than seeing what it was as the truth in God. It was threatening their way of life. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In the very message of the gospel, it's God's power. There's nothing ordinary about the gospel. There's nothing regular about the gospel. And there's nothing weak about the gospel. It is the good news about what Christ has done so sinful man can be reconciled to God the Father. It's in the gospel message where we see God, creator of all things, holy, perfect, just, the just God who will punish sin and disobedience. It's in the gospel message where we see ourselves, mankind, that although we were created good, we have become hostile to God in our sinful nature. And because of that, we have been separated from God and because of our sin deserving of God's wrath. We see in the gospel message, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, came through a virgin birth and lived a, sinful, a sinless life. Yet he was crucified and died on the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin, to bear God's wrath for those who, believe, who would believe. But yet we also see in the gospel message that he didn't stay dead that he rose from the grave. He was resurrected with all power, power over sin, power over death, so that he may give his, his people, those who believe, eternal life. And now God calls all people to believe, repent, turn away from sin, turn to him, trust in Christ in order to be saved. That powerful gospel message is incredible because it's something that only God can do. There's nothing ordinary about it. It brings to my mind an old song that commissions used to sing. Some of y'all don't even know who commissioned is. But they said, the ordinary just won't do. I need a love that's pure and true. I can always find it in you, Jesus. You see, that's what the gospel message is. It's the pure and true love of Jesus Christ. The gospel message is rooted in that love. It's rooted in sacrifice. It's rooted in reconcilia reconciliation all through the power of God. So that in itself makes it amazing. Humanity could not pay its own debt to free itself from God's wrath. So God the Son paid the debt. That is what's incredible. And while many have heard the message, not all received the message. 
But when someone does receive the message of the gospel, when someone hears the gospel and allows the gospel to move and operate in their life, to move them to salvation, guess what? That's incredible. So we also see in this passage that salvation in itself makes the believer, makes the Christian incredible. We see that after they had preached the gospel and after they taught the gospel and after they were arrested for doing such, that many who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. We see here that through the text, through the preaching of the gospel, that souls were being saved. And what we think about what, sal- and what we think about what salvation is and what it entails, yes, that is also incredible. Yes, we have been saved. We have been saved from God's wrath. Someone else took the punishment that we deserved. And now we who were dead in our sins, we have been made alive in Christ. That's incredible. We cannot atone for ourselves. No works we could ever think of could satisfy our sin debt. So God made a way through the way for us to be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So praise God, he did what we could not do in order for us to have salvation. And because you have received salvation, you are now a part of the family of God. Just think about that. That's incredible. 1 John 3, 1-2 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Praise God. Being saved makes us a part of God's family. And now that we are a part of God's family, We have benefits. As the old commercials used to say, membership has its privileges. Being a part of God's family has its privileges. One of those privileges is that we have an advocate with the Father through Jesus Christ. 1 John 2 and 1 says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So praise God that Now that we are saved, we know that we're still walking in our flesh and sometimes we're still prone to do the things that we should not do. But thank God we have Jesus Christ. God the Son is advocating on our behalf with God the Father. We have the best lawyer that could ever be. That's incredible. And because we have also been now reconciled back to God, our fellowship with God has been restored. We now have access to God through prayer. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We have access to God the Father, God the Creator, Master of everything, the one who is in total control, the one who is sovereign, the one who knows all things. Church, that is incredible. What also is incredible 
is that now that we are saved, we have eternal life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's incredible. We also have the benefit and the privilege to serve a father who gives good gifts to those who ask him, according to Matthew 7 and 11. And then Ephesians 1 and 3 says that, we are, that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly, place, in heavenly places. So there are so many more blessings that salvation brings to the believer. But the one last thing I want to note is that we have been given the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So in Christ's physical absence, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the third part of the, tri of the Trinity, he is with us to help us live and glorify God here on earth. See, that's incredible. John 16, 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit will guide us to truth. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Holy Spirit will give us spiritual gifts to help us, to empower us to be God's ambassadors here on earth. Then he also tells us in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 that the Holy Spirit will produce fruit in the lives of the believer. And because of the Holy Spirit, that is what's working in our lives that makes the church so special. That we have God in us, working through us, and church, that's incredible. God, when he works through his church, is what makes the church, what makes the Christian incredible. You see, when we look at the book of Acts, we see all the great things that the apostles had done through the power of the Holy Spirit up to, to this point. But without God, these apostles would have been regularly, regular, ordinary men. But because of God, through the Holy Spirit, they were able to do mighty acts for God. They preached the gospel with power and boldness. They stood strong in the face of adversity. It was not because they themselves were so great, but it was God that was working in them. They were able to do such exploits that make us say, make us go ooh and ah. But think about it. Let's go back and, 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 and look at the Gospels because the disciples were not always like this. These men, they walked with Jesus. They sat at his feet. They studied. They prayed with Jesus. Yet they did some things sometimes that things that would just make you scratch your head, things that would make you say, hmm, what in the world is going on? You see, before the resurrection, we see that at times these uh, uh, disciples, these apostles, they struggle with pride. Luke 22 and 24 tells us how they fought over who should be the greatest or considered the greatest. It also tells us that in Matthew 10 and 37 that James and John wanted to have seats of honor and glory next to Jesus. Bible also tells us that at times the apostles, disciples, they, they lacked compassion. 
They tell the story in Luke chapter 9 that when Jesus went to a Samaritan village and the message was not received, that they wanted to call down from heaven and have fire burn up the entire village. Sometimes they lacked compassion. We see that in Matthew 19, that when the children were brought to him, that they wanted to send the children away, but Jesus said, no, let the children come to me. Sometimes the apostles, they spoke rashly. Peter <laughs> when Christ foretold his death in Matthew 16, 22, it said Peter took Jesus, the Lord God, aside and rebuked him. And then it also tells us that also Peter tried to stop Jesus from washing his feet in John 13 and 8. He says, you, you shall never wash my feet. But then, Peter, but then Jesus answered, said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Sometimes the apostles were quick-tempered. When the mob came to arrest Jesus Christ in John 18, it says Peter drew a sword and struck the high priest and cut off, and struck the, high, the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Sounds like some of us. Yeah, some, yeah he was ready to go. Sometimes we lack self-control. Sometimes we're quick to speak. Sometimes we ourselves lack compassion. But guess what? Sometimes these apostles lacked faith. Matthew 17, when uh, they could not heal the child that was brought to them, Jesus says that they could not heal because they had little faith. And remember when Peter was walking on water and he saw the winds and the waves starting to come about, and he became fearful. In Matthew 14, he began to sink. And then Jesus came and rescued him and he said, Oh, why do you have such little faith? And then let us not forget that these same disciples, after Jesus had been arrested, Matthew, or Mark rather, 1450 says they deserted him. They all left him and fled. And then the account of Peter and so many different passages in the Gospels, he denied Jesus Christ himself. So the disciples didn't always get it right. They made mistakes, just like you, just like me. But yet they walked with Jesus. They had a front row seat to the greatest teacher who ever walked the face of the earth. And yet sometimes they messed up. You see, sometimes we can sit under the sums of the greatest teaching. We can sit in awe and hear some of the greatest life-giving sermons. We can be pastored by some of the greatest names. We can go to the greatest and most popular churches in the area, and guess what? We're still prone to make mistakes. But thank God we have an advocate with the Father. But we praise God because in all of these things, we recognize that in our own power and our own strength, we do mess up. We do get things wrong. We will fail. The disciples were with God himself, and they messed up. But praise God that they didn't stay that way. Amen. You see, after the resurrection, when the Holy Spirit came and dwelt within them, we see God was working in them, and what a difference a day would make. These same disciples who were jockeying for position now were declaring that they could do nothing. Rather, it was Jesus Christ who had all the power. 
These same disciples who didn't want to be bothered with showing love to people, now were showing compassion and love to those in need, like the lame man at the gate. These men who were quick to speak and quick to react and quick to, and quick to do things that did not give glory to God, now they displayed patience and allowed the Holy Spirit to speak through them, to use them, to allow them to speak and teach and preach gospel truth. These disciples who were quick to strike and, to strike and fight back now exhibited self-control rather than to give themselves over to trusting God. These disciples who had little faith now had faith to do miracles and were faithful in preaching the gospel message. These same disciples who, were dis who deserted and disowned Jesus Christ were now declaring in the face of a would-be mob who were now declaring in the midst of taking in the midst of, of the high council that same the same high priests who were complicit in the death of their Lord and Savior, they were now declaring with boldness and with joy that the same Jesus that you crucified and killed unjustly, he is the resurrected one who is the only way to salvation. You see, through these, through these, through now or through now through the works of these apostles, we see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit on display. We see self-control, we see patience, we see compassion, we see joy, we see evidence that the Holy Spirit was working in them. That boldness that we saw, that was not them, but that was God working in them. And that boldness was evident to the Sanhedrin. You see, the Sanhedrin, once again, they were complicit in the death of Jesus Christ. And now they have these two men standing before them, boldly preaching Jesus, the man who had just been crucified, was the resurrection. And not only was that bold just by preaching about a man who they just killed because of his message, they were preaching a resurrection message that the Sadducees of the court did not believe in. But yet they did so with boldness. They preached in such a way connecting Christ to the Old Testament scriptures that they marveled because they were common and unlearned. You see, they didn't have the formal and fancy training like the men who were sitting in places of position. They didn't have the training like the high priests of the Sanhedrin. But I praise God that, that you know, I'm a big believer in education, my wife will tell you. But I praise God that you don't need to Go to the big fancy schools to learn the way of Christ. If you, if you feel a calling to go to seminary, by all means, and they can teach you some great things. They can, they can teach you all of the theologies like eschatology and soteriology and Christology. They can teach you about different forms of theology, systematic theology and biblical theology. They can teach you even how to prepare a sermon or prepare a Bible study message. But I thank God that we don't need to go to seminary to learn Jesus Christ. But I thank God that we can just open up the Bible and through the aid of the Holy Spirit, through the aid of the church, through the aid of the pastors, we can learn Jesus Christ and how to serve Jesus Christ. You see, in a way, this mirrored the account that Pastor Josh read in John 7. Jesus came and preached them, and they said, how can he preach this without any kind of formal training? Well, the easy answer is because he was the word. John 1 and 1, y'all know it, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was the living embodiment of the word. So he didn't need anybody to teach him because he already was and already is the word of God. But now his disciples are doing the same thing. 
They're teaching for the glory, not of themselves, but for the glory of the one who sent them, the living word, Jesus Christ. So standing before them, and now standing before them, they see these men, and then they see a man, a man who was lame since birth, but now he's healed. They see these two men whose lives are in their hand in Peter and John, boldly standing and preaching the gospel, boldly standing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, preaching in a way that would amaze long-time scholars. There must have been something different about these men. What could it be? It says that they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. And while their start had many missteps, we praise God that it was through their continuing with Jesus that God was glorified. And think about it, when they were walking with Jesus, Jesus at any time could have said, you know what, these dudes keep messing up. I'm tired of these, these cats. I'm going, to, I'm going to dump them and I'm going to pick 12 new apostles, 12 new disciples. Maybe they'll get it right. And I'm sure at times they wondered in themselves that they could measure up to even being a disciple of the Lord. We talked about how Peter, when he denied Christ, the end result, they, it says in the gospel that when it came to his real, realization that he wept bitterly. Can you imagine how that must feel? You walked with the Lord. You knew the Lord. You, you, the Lord prayed with you and you, done, you had did things in the name of the Lord. But at the first time of adversity, you chose to deny him. And when, you, when that hits your mind, imagine how you would feel. It said Peter wept bitterly, but I praise God that even after their missteps, even after Peter's denial, we see Jesus showing himself to them. After he was resurrected from the dead, we have different accounts of his love for his disciples, those that he had invested in, showing himself to be alive, showing himself to be real, showing himself to be true. We see that in all of his appearances after the resurrection, that Jesus Christ was still showing that he loves them. He was showing that, yes, you are still mine. He was showing them that, yes, I will still use you for my glory. It doesn't God still, that do, still do that with us today? Times may look bleak. We make bad decisions. Sometimes we wonder if we have what it takes. But God shows his love for us. He shows that he's still with us. He shows us that he loves us. He shows us that he will use us for his glory. And all of that is because we serve an incredible God. It took an incredible God to craft the gospel message in such a way. It took an incredible God to perform the gospel message. It took an incredible God to save man from certain death and death because of our sins to make us alive and to grant us eternal life. It took an incredible God to do those things. It took an incredible God to call together his church. You see, we see in 1 Corinthians 1 26, it says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. God shows himself strong through some of the most unlikely people. 
Moses was a murderer in hiding, yet God used him to stand up to Pharaoh and deliver Israel. Rahab was a Canaanite harlot, yet God used her to help Israel conquer Jericho. Gideon was a man in hiding, hiding in a wine press, yet God called him a mighty man of valor. And then God used just 300 men of Gideon to defeat an army of over 100,000 Midianites. Esther stood to be executed for standing before the king, yet God used her to save her people. And yes, John, who was jockeying for position, he wanted to burn down a village. Yes, Peter was quick to speak and react. He did not even, use, even knowing who Jesus Christ was, but God used them to perform miracles, to preach the gospel, and to build his church. So at the end of the day, please know that God will use and can use whoever and whatever pleases him because he will always get the victory because he is the true and living God. He is the almighty God. He is Elohim. He is the king of glory, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the true and living God. And for all the promises of God, we find that in them they are yes and amen. We know that he is able to do far more abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. And we know that once, once God has spoken, and twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. You see, that's wonderful to know. We don't have to be perfect, and we don't have to get ourselves together, but it is all a part of our salvation. We don't need to clean ourselves up, then come to God. No, but we recognize that we can't absolve ourselves. We need God to do what we cannot do. So if you are unsaved and, and you don't have to wait, you can experience this incredible God right now by doing what Peter was preaching and teaching, by repenting, turning away from your sin, and turning and trusting in Jesus Christ with saving faith. Because Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes, you may say, I have problems, I have issues. Can Jesus really save someone like me? You may say, I'm, I, I was like the man at the gate. I didn't feel seen, I don't feel heard. I've been leaning on the things of this world. I've been looking for these things of the world to bring true satisfaction. Or you may say I was like the crowd, just going with the flow with no real direction, following after the next great thing, the new thing, going along for the ride of the culture. You may even be like the people that were on that high Sanhedrin court. You were raised in tradition and you don't know anything apart from that. Or you may have been raised in privilege and you don't know what life will be like if you sacrifice your status. But let me tell you that Jesus is greater. He's greater than the things of this world. He's greater than this worldly culture. He's greater than our traditions. He's greater than our privilege. All of these things will pass away, but Jesus Christ, but God is forever. Likewise, believer, you may look at yourself and say, how can God use me? Well, look at how he used Peter and John. Look at what they were able to do through the power of God. So I 
advise you just to continue on with God. Continue to trust in the Lord. Continue to trust and avail yourself and allow him to use you. But you may still say, well, I looked at this scripture and I saw Peter and Peter was preaching hard. I mean, he was preaching flat-footed, in-your-face, gospel power. And you may say, well, I can't speak or teach like that. Well, then just look at John. You see, he and Peter were partners in their careers who later became partners in ministry. And one thing you'll notice in these first few passages in Acts that Peter was preaching. Scripture doesn't really say what John was doing, does it? But he was there. He was present in the name of the Lord. He made himself available. So it doesn't say, and the scripture doesn't say that they just saw the, the boldness of Peter, but it said they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So just be available and allow God to use you because God can use you in so whichever way he sees fit to give him glory. So just be available and however God chooses to use you, praise the Lord. And when we think about that man that, we, that, that was healed, many of us were like that man. We thought we knew what we needed, but God did what ultimately in, the, in, 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 in our lives what we truly needed. We needed, to, we needed him to operate in our lives. And when you think about that, that is truly incredible. It's nothing short of a miracle. Here we are, who we were, doing what we could do, all without disregard for God, doing it on a way to, to, to be deserving of God's wrath, yet God saw fit to save us, to transform us, to change us, to make us alive with Christ. That's nothing short of incredible. That's nothing short of a miracle. I get such joy when I'm out with the church, when we do evangelism, when we're out for coffee and convo. And it's so amazing seeing each one operating. Sometimes someone's uh, passing out the coffee and just having conversations, encouraging someone. Sometimes someone else is giving prayer. Sometimes someone else is having true gospel conversations. And all of these things, God is glorified just by a small church, a small group of people making themselves available. So please, I implore you, church, don't look at your insufficiency and say, I can't do it, but trust in the power of God and allow him to work in you. Because as Martin Luther once said, God can use crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Let every heart pray. Precious and all wise God, we just give your name all the Precious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, precious Lord, that we can trust in you. We thank you, precious Lord, that we may look at ourselves and recognize that we have faults, we have failures. Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, are we good enough to represent you, Lord? But Lord, we are so grateful that you Use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. 
So we pray, precious Lord, that we not lean in our own power or lean in our own, in our own understanding. But Lord, as we go about to do a work for you, that we can lean and trust in you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Lord, that our faith will continue to be in you and not on man. And then we pray, precious Lord, that as you are using us for your glory, we pray, precious Lord, that you just continue to bless the body of Christ, not just our local congregation, but the universal body of Christ. Let other souls come to know you in salvation. And then we pray, precious Lord, that even those souls, Lord God, that you will use them for your glory and that we will see true multipl multiplication through the uh, working of the Great Commission. We give your name all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.